Hey, if you have a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 4. We're going to be reading a couple verses towards the end, but I want to just bring something to our attention because when, when we think of prayer, everybody has a different approach, everyone has a different opinion, and everyone has a different background. And here's what I've noticed in years of ministry is that, in fact, your family dynamic has a lot to do with your relationship with God. Your relationship with your father can sometimes play into your relationship with your heavenly father that influences that, the negative, the positive, those kind of things. But also it affects, I believe, our, our prayer, the part of our relationship with God that is really important the part of our relationship that's important. And here's what I believe. If mom and dad didn't pray, you probably don't either. If mom and dad kind of prayed, then you're kind of someone probably that, that kind of prays. If mom and dad were the people that you constantly caught on their knees at the couch, opening the word and, and praying constantly, then that's something that you constantly are doing. That doesn't mean always in everyone's case because everyone's different. But what I've, what I've learned is that most of the time, if, you, if your mom and dad didn't pray, you probably don't either. And it's been a hard learning for you. So if this is the case for you, prayer is kind of more of an occasional thing. It's something that you kind of wrestle with, struggle with. You're kind of going, what's the, what's the need for consistency? And, and in fact, when you face struggles, maybe for you, when you face the real hardships of life, you're going to call out the big guns. You're going to call out, you know, your favorite pastor, your favorite theologian. You're going to call out the intercessor who, if you called right now on the phone, they're probably praying, right? I mean, those are the people that are, you know, that for every five words they say, there's 15 prayers, right? They're, they're always praying. But here's the truth of it is that prayer is something for all of us to do continually. Not just pastors, not just preachers, not just the intercessors, but all of us to do together continually. And here's what I believe. Prayer is something that if it's not displayed, here's what I mean when I say if mom and dad didn't, didn't pray. If it's not displayed, it's often not duplicated. If it's not displayed, it's not duplicated. And here's how Jesus did this well, how he put it on display. He did this for his disciples. We see this in Luke 11, where the disciples say, how are we supposed to pray? And he says, like this, pray like this. And he gives them what we know as the famous Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So he's saying, listen, this is the name you pray in. This is how you pray. This is what to pray. And he gives them instruction and he just puts it on display for them, for them to duplicate. And then in Matthew 14, we see that Jesus prays alone. Jesus hangs out with a large group of people, takes a few fish, a few loaves of bread, and multiplies it for everyone to eat this great fancy meal. And the follow-up of what Jesus does is he goes off to what the word says, a desolate, a lonely place to go be with the Father. And so he goes and he prays. And then in John 17, we see that Jesus prays for the disciples, for the people. He prays for you and he prays for me. So we see that in John 17. We see in these verses that he, he models for his disciples that, that the importance of prayer to go away, to spend intentional time in prayer. And then he prays to the Father for a long period of time in John 17. And so all believers, as we see as Jesus modeled, all believers are called to pray, you and I. And we see this also in Acts chapter four. And so I wanna give you some setup before we read these couple verses 
about the the believer's prayer is that in the beginning of Acts chapter four, Peter sees a man who needs some healing. It says a lame man, and that doesn't mean he's kind of lame as we would use the term today, but he is considered a a paralyzed person, a, a, a cripple. And he heals this person, and then he gives this sermon. He gives a sermon and says, listen, it's all about Jesus. And I didn't, I didn't heal that guy. Jesus healed that guy. So then the religious guys show up, and they're going, wait a minute. We already killed the guy that you're talking about, and this isn't going to stand. And so they arrest Peter and John, and they're angry. And as Peter boldly proclaims that it's all about Jesus, that it's Jesus who healed the man, and it's only through Jesus that we have the freedom of salvation, the religious leaders are angry. And in fact, they're so angry that they don't even know what to do with them. So they're angry, they, they imprison them, and then they're like, we don't know what to do from here, so we're just going to release them. And so there's just this chaos going on. And as Peter and John are released, they go back to the believers, and the believers are like, okay, we're, we're about to experience some hardship. We're going to experience some struggle and persecution. And so as we're going to experience this, it's time to pray. It's time for all of us to gather in all of our different personalities and all the ways that we're different. It's time for us to pray as what we see is happening with Peter and John is going to happen even greater. And you see that later in Acts. But we're going to look this morning at Acts Chapter 4, verse 29 through 31, because these three verses hold some pretty amazing truth and some pretty incredible, simple keys to prayer that I think would be incredible for you and I to begin to pray. And so in in verse 29 in Acts chapter 4, it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And so as we pick up in this story, as they're, as they're praying, there's, there's, there's three things in there that they're praying for. That I think if you and I were to begin to pray, not just a a, a basic passing prayer, but if you and I were to begin to pray these things, I believe that that that's where Jesus is calling us to, to return to the the basics of these and the importance of these prayers. Here's the first thing they prayed. Number one is give us boldness. Give us boldness to speak. This is a pretty big deal. We talked a while ago about, about boldness. And, and in fact, Paul tells the Roman people in his letter to them in Romans chapter one, verse 16, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now here's what I believe about this verse is that a life transformed by Jesus is not ashamed of the gospel, right? We see this in new young believers. I mean, they'll tell anyone, right? They'll walk up to the Mormons and start a conversation why they need Jesus, right? Like they'll talk to anyone they come in contact with. They're not ashamed of the gospel about the message of Jesus. They're stoked about it, but here's what they miss. 
Here's what they often miss, what new believers often miss. And I think we miss even as, as, uh, as seasoned, maybe even not yet mature believers, is that a life transformed by Jesus, yes, is not ashamed by the gospel, but it can be shamed for the gospel. It can be shamed for the gospel. And here's what I mean. When you and I pray that prayer, give us boldness to speak, some bad stuff might happen, right? I mean, in Acts chapter four, we read that the believers are praying, God, give us boldness. And as they go out, more bad stuff happens. And so it's not that they pray for boldness and then great stuff happens, there's this myth in, in, in the belief of when you become a Christian, Jesus makes everything happy. Jesus makes everything better. No, 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 no. He redeems you perfectly. That much is true. But bad stuff can happen. And so as we pray that prayer, give us boldness to speak, we need to understand that that means we are proclaiming, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of Jesus, of the message of what Jesus has done in my life, but I'm also willing to be shamed for that gospel. I'm not ashamed of it, but I'm willing to be shamed for it. When we talked about boldness a while back, I I talked about three things as 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 we step out into boldness in our community is that we engage culture, love the people, and redeem culture. That we engage culture, love the people, and redeem culture. And when we talked about redeem the culture, what that meant was you and I going out from here as we redeem culture, that means showing non-believers what a life transformed by Jesus looks like. So that means when we approach our, our family, even the dysfunction of our family, when we face our relationships, the decisions of our relationships, how we face our finances, how we face our fill in the blank, whatever that is for us. And that, that, that can get incredibly uncomfortable. And in some cases, we get shamed for it. Going, why, why would you do such a thing? Why would you do such a thing? Why are you approaching your relationships like that? Why are you approaching your family like that? Because I wanna redeem this culture for Jesus. I wanna be bold to speak. And the second thing they, they prayed was heal this nation through Jesus. Heal this nation through Jesus. Colossians 1, 17 and 18 says, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head of the body, the church. That's Jesus. And so what this verse clearly says for you and I is that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus from the beginning to the middle to the end. It's all about Jesus. And here's the truth about healing is that healing begins with our desperate need for Jesus. Healing begins with our desperate need for Jesus. And notice in the New Testament, and this isn't for all cases, but, but as you read through the four gospels and you look at Jesus's ministry, most of the time, if not all the time, the people that are experiencing healing aren't the disciples. They, they aren't the people who are, who are faithfully following Jesus. The radical healing that we see in scripture are those that aren't following Jesus and haven't experienced him yet. 
They have this desperate need for Jesus in their life. I mean, some might even kind of identify with him and they haven't experienced that healing in their life because they haven't yet reached a point of going, I'm desperate for Jesus. I mean, here's, here's the thing. We, in our life today, we are desperate for Jesus. And if we would view that, heal this nation through Jesus because we are desperate for Jesus, I think it would change the way we think. I mean, you look at, for example, you look at Ferguson, what's happening? You look at the chaos from that in Seattle. You look at the chaos continually arising. You look at the situation with Ebola. And here's the shocking thing. The only thing that has changed in today's age is our awareness. The only thing that has changed in this broken, messed up, terrible world is our awareness. And here's where our awareness needs to be aligned in, is our desperate need for Jesus. I mean... Honestly, you look, at, you look at the things happening around the world and they are chaotic. They're heart-wrenching. But nothing's changed. It's always been heart-wrenching. There's always been a message there. I mean, we read in the beginning of Genesis 3, the world is broken. <laughs> Genesis 3 is not called the fall because Eve dropped the apple. It is called the fall because from that point, things fell apart. And at that point, from then on, we continue to walk through life with a desperate need for Jesus. And that's where we begin to pray. Heal this nation through Jesus. God, would you heal this nation through Jesus? Would you change us from the inside out? From the inside out that we would be able to speak boldly, that you would heal this nation. And the third thing they prayed before they went out is fill us with the Holy Spirit. Fill us with the Holy Spirit so we can continue to speak. And Paul wrote this later to the Romans after saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel. In chapter eight, verse 26, he said, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit, the spirit himself intercedes for us. He, he goes before us with groanings too deep for words. And so they pray, fill us with the Holy Spirit. And I encourage you last week to pray this. And I encourage you this week also to pray this. Holy Spirit, come dwell within me. Holy Spirit, come dwell within me. And here's the deal. In our small group a couple weeks ago, we were talking about prayer. And uh, my sister-in-law brought up this, this concept of someone, and I'm totally gonna screw up this story, but bear with me, that, uh, that this person took a container and filled it full of elements, like sand, little pebbles of rocks, and then put the big rock in. And... and and it didn't fit right. There wasn't much room for the larger pieces, the big pieces. But then, if it, and then as it was dumped out and the big pieces were put in first, then everything began to flow correctly in between and there was more than enough room in that container. See, that's the thing that needs to happen in our lives with the Holy Spirit. Is that if we go, man, I've got my life, I've got my thing, Holy Spirit, come fill a piece of it. It's like a rock sitting on top of a container that can't be filled. But to say, Holy Spirit, would you come dwell within me is saying, 
God, I submit and I'm, I wanna be obedient, so I'm gonna tip over everything in my container, everything in my life. I'm gonna tip over everything and I'm gonna put the big thing first. So Holy Spirit, would you come dwell within me? And see, this, the scary thing, the difficult thing about that is that then the closet door has to swing wide open. All the sin has to be laid out on the table. And for a lot of us, that's scary, if not all of us. For the doors to swing wide open and to say, Holy Spirit, would you come invade all of it? Would you come consume all of it? Because he knows us. In that verse, in, in verse 26 of Romans 8, the Spirit himself intercedes. He goes before us with groanings too deep for words. So he knows what's going on. He's fully aware. In fact, when Jesus died on the cross, when he rose again, there was never a time and never will be a time where he went, man, we forgot that one. We forgot that one. We forgot that sin. We forgot that issue. Jesus covered all so that the Holy Spirit could dwell in our entire life. And so as we begin to pray these things, give us boldness, heal this nation, and Lord, fill us with your Holy Spirit. It becomes about aligning our prayers with God's will, with God's plan. And so aligning our prayer life with God's will is all about obedience, Right, Because things could, things could go bad. Things could be chaotic. We could be shamed for the gospel. But when your life is so completely surrendered to him, when our lives are so completely surrendered to Jesus in submission to him, whatever you pray, and we're in full submission, whatever we pray, we desire to be aligned with God's will. Whatever we pray, we desire to have aligned with God's will. And we see this example with Isaiah. I mean, this is, this is kind of one of those coffee cup, knitted pillow verses, here I am, send me in Isaiah 6. But, but as we begin seeing Isaiah's vision, his position is not, I've got this. I'm, I'm great. I have it all together. In fact, when we read his vision of coming before a holy God, he can't get low enough. And so he submits to God saying, woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. I am a messy, broken guy. And I can't do this. I can't do this. And then it says that he was forgiven. So his position goes from desperation, from loss to being forgiven. And then is where we see that verse, that, that piece that's so popular when it says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am. And that, ain't just a, that, that's not, that doesn't end on a period, that ends on an exclamation point. Here I am, Lord, send me. Send me, I wanna be in submission to you. I want my life, not just my prayers, but my entire life to be about you. So then for you and I, that means if we're to follow this, to pray and live in such a way that our lives would glorify God in all we do. That it would glorify God in all we do. And so I have a question for you as we close. 
This is a question I've been praying through and thinking through and processing the last 24 hours. And so I wanna invite you into asking a question that I'm asking myself. I don't just want you to ask it, but for us to ask it. What do your prayers and your postures say about your obedience towards God? What do your prayers and your postures say about your obedience to God? And I don't just mean the postures of how you sit, how you lay, but the stance you take in making a decision. The stance you take in your response to someone. The stance you take in your entire life. What do your prayers and your postures say about your obedience towards God? So as you ask this question, I wanna encourage you, don't be afraid of this question. Walk in this question. I mean, we talked last week about waiting on the Lord. Maybe for you, this is the beginning of the season of waiting. Maybe for you, this is the beginning. And as you, you wait on the Lord and you ask this question, this is where true obedience begins to take place. And so one day at a time and one step at a time, as you begin to ask this question, you begin to pray those things. God, would you give me boldness? Holy Spirit, would you come dwell within me? Help me to tip over the container of my life so that I can put the big things first, which is Jesus. Jesus, I I have a desperate need for you. And so then you ask God and you be honest with God. I think there's too many times where we're not honest with God. We're not even honest with ourselves. I mean, the biggest liar in your life, who, who lies to you the most? You do. That's who, that, who's broken the most promises in your life. You have. It's, it's no one else but you. And so as you position yourself, as we talked last week, as you position yourself under the waterfall of grace, That God's grace, that's something you cannot escape. It pours down upon you like a waterfall. You position yourself there and be honest with God. Seek God that your prayers and your postures would begin to free you to a greater obedience before God. Let's pray.